0: The Lord, Amen. Turn to First Thessalonians chapter four. If you don't have a Bible, you can look at it on the overhead. You know, uh, a church churches should be preaching expositionally. That is, going through the Bible, uh, book by book and verse by verse. And there are definitely reasons for that. But also, at the same time, it's challenging because you know, uh, if you're going to be preaching through a book, you obviously have to preach through the verses that are next on the agenda. And sometimes those verses aren't as appealing as it could be if you were to choose a topic for your sermon. So I'm not saying that this is one that I wouldn't choose necessarily, but it's maybe not one that's commonly addressed. But because it is in the Word of God, it is our responsibility to preach and teach the whole counsel of God. So let's look at First Thessalonians 4, We're going to begin at verse 1. And could we stand in respect and reverence for the Word of God as I'm reading in the English Standard Version? Finally, dear brothers and sisters, we urge you in the name of the Lord Jesus to live in a way that pleases God as we have taught you. You live this way already, and we encourage you to do so even more. For you remember what we taught you by the authority of the Lord Jesus God's will is for you to be holy. So stay away from all sexual sin. Then each of you will control his own body and live in holiness and honor, not in lustful passion like the pagans who do not know God and his ways. Never harm or cheat a fellow believer in this matter by violating his wife, for the Lord avenges all such sins as we have solemnly warned you before. God has called us to live holy lives, not impure lives. Therefore, anyone who refuses to live by these rules is not disobeying human teaching, but is, is rejecting God who gives his Holy Spirit to you. You may be seated. And may the Lord add his blessing to the reading of his word. I have something to say to you. You know, when you first got saved, you probably did not realize, like, have you ever gotten a present uh, in a big box and you open up the box and you say, oh, I found the present that's in the box. But then you realize that in that present, there's another present. And you open that one up and you find inside that box, there's another present and another present. Well, that's kind of how it is when you get saved. You don't realize at first what the gift of God contains within it. And there's gift after gift after gift as we grow in knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, it becomes deeper and deeper and deeper. And we'd say, as time goes on, like, wow, I never knew that. I never realized that. Just listen to our sister reading from the book of Genesis 22. Ah, the climax. God will provide himself a lamb. And there he is, locked in the thorns with his horns, and there he is the rim and oh just something like that is so enriching and maybe the first time you read you read that you don't quite get get out of it what you do later as you read along in the scriptures so anyway just want to emphasize how we should all be growing in the word and it should get richer and deeper as the hymn writer says sweeter as the years roll on. And it should be, shouldn't it? That the longer you are saved, the more appreciative you are of what you have in Christ Jesus. You didn't realize it at first. You just thought, well, I'm saved. I'm changed. I have heaven as my future home. My sins are forgiven. But it goes even deeper than that. There's such so much more and more. As a matter of fact, there's so much more to learn. The Bible says that who through the eternal ages is going to teach us about His amazing grace in First uh, in Ephesians chapter 2. That in the ages to come, He's going to show the exceeding riches of His grace to us who believe. That will be an eternal class. You don't graduate from it. You don't get a diploma. You don't really ever finish it. He's going to ex- show the exceeding riches of His grace in the eternal ages to come. So we are only... Truly, like, like uh, Sol- Solomon said, uh, when the people came to, to visit Solomon, Queen, Queen of Sheba, namely, and, and Solomon shared all his wisdom with her, and she said, what? The half had not been told me. And when we get the glory, we're going to say, wow, look at the loads of things God is going to show me and is showing me through these countless ages of eternity. So let's turn now to uh First uh, Thessalonians four verse one. Paul now is changing the subject. Our brother preached on that last week. Finished it verse chapter thirteen, and now Paul is turning the page, as it were, and he's saying he had now finally, dear brothers and sisters. Of course, when when brethren are often. Uh, addressed it's inclusive of of females that's why a lot of your translation will have this gender inclusiveness of the women because it's obviously the meaning is it like the word mankind doesn't just mean males in the world but mankind meaning all of humanity composed of males and females. Those are the only two genders that are recognized in the Bible. So Paul is saying, finally, dear brothers and sisters, we urge you in the name of the Lord Jesus. That urge is really an urgency. There is an urgency there. That word urge is used in the same book in chapter 5 verse 12 when Paul says, we urge you to know them that are Leaders among you and are over you in the Lord. We urge you to know them. Do you know them? Can you stand up, Brother Todd? Could you stand up, Brother Pat? These are your leaders. These are your elders in this local church. It says, we urge you. You can sit down. We urge you to know them. And could our deacons stand up? Mark Fuller, where are you? Rob, Mike Payne, and Ken Kozak, and Tony's not here today, but those are four deacons in the church know them that labor among you and are over you in the Lord that lead and guide in the in the in the local church in its affairs. You know Paul says to the uh to in the book of Philippians, odious and Syntyche. I had to reread it again was it last night or this morning and go over this when he uses that same word we urge you odious, and Syntyche was the way I would normally have quoted it. I beseech Euodius and Syntyche that they be of the same mind in the Lord. But he says it twice. I beseech or I urge Euodias and I urge Syntyche that they be of the same mind in the Lord. In other words, it's urgent that things be settled, that matters be cleared, that brothers, sisters, that the family of God be united so that we can strive together in one mind for the sake of the gospel. That's what Philippians is about. It's the one-mindedness. It's the psychology book of the Bible that we would be of one mind. What mind is that? Let this mind be in you, which is also in Christ Jesus. We, it says in 1 Corinthians 2, we, you and I, have the mind of Christ. Imagine that. I was saying about that gift, and you open up and you hear like, wow, I have the mind of Christ? Me, having the mind of Christ? That's what God says you have. All right? And when we come to realize these things more and more, we realize how rich the faith in Christ is that we have. I urge you in the name of the Lord... You know, Jesus said in John 10, 10, I am come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. The kind of life that we've received by believing on the Lord and what he gives to us, he calls it an abundant life. It's not just the spiritual life, but a spiritual life that is abundant, overflowing out of the abundance of the heart is what we have. 1 Peter 4, 2 says that we should no longer live the rest of our lives... In the flesh, to the will of man, but to the will of God. And this is what Paul is urging. In the name of the Lord Jesus, to live in a way that pleases God. To live in a way that pleases God. You know, when we were in the world, we lived for ourselves. Whether you own that truth or not, you were living selfishly. You were living to satisfy yourself. But when you became a Christian, you were all of of a sudden saying, I surrender to you. Lord, take the steering wheel of my life. Take charge of me. Govern me. Overrule me. Dominate me. I submit to you. I'm putting my yoke upon you. And you are the Lord and Savior of my life. Take my life and let it be consecrated, Lord, to thee. That's what happens when the new birth occurs. That's what should happen. We're turning it all over to him and say, Lord, you lead me. I want to live in a way that pleases God. Paul says in Philippians 1.21, For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. Can you say that about yourself? For to you, to live is Christ. What are you living for? If you're a Christian, there's no doubt about it. There's no ambiguities here. To live as a Christian is to live for Christ. Now, I know we all fall short of that, and I would raise my hand first and say, yes, I do. I can't say that's something constantly on my mind, but I do think the author of Philippians, Paul, inspired by the Holy Spirit, is a wonderful example for us to live our lives for Christ. So that important question is, what are we living for? You know, when you were a child, uh, I don't know if your parents would ask you, but it was often brought up like, what do you want to be when you grow up? Who do you want to be like? Uh, For us, growing up in a city was to be a police officer or a firefighter. (laughs) Seemed like the only two options. Being a doctor or a lawyer was not even considered, uh, in in my circle. It was, I want to, I want to be out there and I want to, Maybe help people put out fires and, and stop crime and whatever. But think of it: when you get saved, there's no question about what you want to be. You want to be like the Lord. We urge you in the name of the Lord Jesus to live in a way that pleases God, as we have taught you. Pleasing God. Hebrews eleven four says about Enoch: By faith Enoch was translated, that he should not see death, because God had translated him. And before his translation or his transference to heaven, it said he had this testimony. This testimony. What's your testimony? This was his testimony. This would be would have been said at his funeral, but he didn't need a funeral because he went right to glory. But if there was a funeral, it would have been said about Enoch, this man pleased God. How much pleasure are you bringing to God? The Bible says that, that God's people are his pleasure. Just think of that, what you mean to God. Not what God means to you in this instance, but what does God mean to you? Are you pleasing him? Yes, but what does you what do, do you think he thinks of you? What pleasure are you bringing him? His people is his pleasure. When he looks down upon earth, he's looking upon his people preferably. These are the objects of his affections and his desire is for us to be pleasing to him. And you know there's some fruit from being a a pleaser of God. In Proverbs sixteen seven, it says, When a man's ways please the Lord, he makes even his enemies to be at peace with him. If you're having trouble with your neighbors, the person that you work with, persons even in church, when a man's ways please the Lord, he makes even his enemies the last possible people to reconcile with, he'll even make his enemies to be at peace with him when a man's ways please the Lord. Paul says in Galatians 1.10, If I yet please men, I should not be the servant of Christ. That's the challenge, to please man or to please God. Sometimes it can really be a rub between one and the other because people want certain things out of you. They expect certain things for you to do and act and say. But when The pressure's on, and it's a matter of, am I going to please God, or am I going to please man? That's really tense sometimes. But let's put the Lord first. Let's honor Him. Scripture says, them that honor me, I will honor. Now, Paul says, live in a way that pleases God as we have taught you. So these Thessalonians had the privilege to sit at the feet of Paul and Silas and Timothy and to learn from them. They were taught. They were given instructions would maybe be a better way of putting that. They were instructed, uh, as it says in verse 2, for you remember what we taught you by the authority of the Lord Jesus. We taught you. Now if you look in verse 9 of the same chapter, of Thessalonians. Just to contrast this, it says, now as touching brotherly love, you have no need that I write unto you, for ye yourselves are taught of God to love one another. See, that's something that doesn't have to be taught by man to man, from Christian to Christian, to love one another. That's something that is born in you. That is something that is created anew in you to to love one another. Paul says, I don't have to even go there. I don't have to say anything about you loving one another because you all are taught of God to love one another. You know, when you're born again and we're people of the new covenant, the Bible says that we don't need to say to anybody, know the Lord, for they're going to know me from the least to the greatest. And my laws are going to be written on their hearts. And what's written on our heart? Brethren, love one another as I have loved you. Love is a gift that comes from the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is love. And I like the way the NIV translates that or at least punctuates that. It says the fruit of the Spirit is love and there's a, there's a colon right after that and all the rest of the fruits stem from love. The fruit of the Spirit is love. Then there's that pause. Pause joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. So you see, God instills, installs within us this sort of, you could say, instinct, spiritual instinct that we gain at the new birth that causes us to want to love one another. There are some things that are that are Spirit-taught and then there are things, as we have in this chapter, this portion of the book, that are taught by the Word. There are three ways that we are taught as believers. We're taught by the Spirit, one. Two, we're taught by the Word. And then three, we're taught by one another. Listen, Hebrews 13:7 says, "Remember your leaders who spoke the word of God to you; consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate them." You know, if I didn't have you fellow believers as witnesses of the amazing grace of God that saves and transforms lives, I would probably be at a standstill. There would be like a stalemate, like, is this just me? Is this something that's sort of like autonomous, that's just myself and my own thinking? No, but when I see what happened to me happens to you and you and you and you and you're all following the Lord. You fall in love with the Lord. You love the word of God. You love the people of God. You love to praise God. All of those evidences of the new birth that you live and lead are instructive to me. That's a wonderful example. One another to each other. We see Christ in each other and the fruit of the Spirit in our lives. Now granted, there are things that we see in one another that wish we didn't see and that are bad examples to me. And I've been around a lot of bad examples and I probably have been a bad one. I know I have at times myself. Shame on me and shame on us as Christians. But the Lord says we do all offend. We all stumble. That's to be expected. No one's perfect in that way. We strive to be mature and be like our heavenly Father, like Jesus says, be perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect, but we'll all fall short of that. But here in this context, Paul is saying, and I'll talk next week about what that means to be taught by the Holy Spirit. But Paul is saying that he instructed and the others with him, we taught you by the authority of the Lord Jesus. Now, how did Paul teach? He obviously was skilled in the word. The fact that he was a Pharisee of the Pharisees, that he sat at the feet of Gamaliel, there was something there that was valuable. But he also spent three years in the wild in in in, uh, Arabia. What was he doing there? What was Moses doing in the backside of the wilderness for forty years? What about John the Baptist, who was in the wilderness and came out? Uh, We're told that we shall go in and out and find pasture there needs to be that sanctuary of communion with God that we need to have privately I get a little scared sometimes when when Christians feel like every night they've got to go to some gathering and I I just hope that that they have not forfeited their private gathering with the Lord that's so important your personal life. Don't expect to get spoon-fed through, through preaching and Bible studies. You've got to get it on your own. You've got to dig into the Word. Study to show yourself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the Word of truth. It's your responsibility to get into the Scriptures and say, Lord, Take the word like the towel and wipe my feet by hands and sanctify me that I might be more like yourself. Taught by the authority of the Lord Jesus. You can't go any higher than that, can you? Now, it would be a little presumptuous for me to say, I'm teaching you in the name of the Lord Jesus. That almost seems like it's elevating me to a level that I'm speaking like Jesus as if I'm Jesus. No, I can speak like Jesus spoke, but I can't speak as Jesus. There's a difference between the two. And what was Paul trying to communicate as one who's, who's enforcing, if I, if I, I maybe I should say, who's backing what he's saying by having the authority of the Lord Jesus. So Paul does not speak of his own in the scriptures. He's under inspiration. And even when he was verbally communicating... He would have been communicating things that he would have received and the apostles I believe too as revelations, visions, etc. from the Lord because at the time the written word was not yet canonized. There was not the circulation of the Bible like you and I have the privilege of the complete revelation of God from Genesis to Revelation. The last 27 books were added after the death, burial, and resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. So... In the process of the Bible being written, the early churches and Christians needed to be instructed and taught in the ways of God. And Paul and the other apostles were able to, with the authority of the Lord Jesus, to be able to instruct them. Now, we don't have any apostles today, but we do have spiritual leaders among us. And we have one another. We were uh, dealing with this in our uh, men's breakfast yesterday, and our brother brought a wonderful word about the capacity that believers have with one another in the way in which we can shepherd each other. Able also to counsel one another. Romans chapter 15 and verse 14. You have a competency from God And with that competency, the capability and the, I should say the responsibility to encourage one another, counsel one another. That's the goal that we should build one another up on our most holy faith. Scripture says to edify one another, exhort one another, etc., etc., comfort one another. That's what we need from each other. We're not an island, and we shouldn't let any child of God be isolated. Utica shouldn't have been sitting on that back windowsill and fallen overboard. Someone should have said, hey, brother, come on in the circle. You know, you're getting too close to tipping over. Well, that's the kind of way in which we should look after one another and care for one another. So Paul is encouraging along with the other apostles for them, verse 3, God's will is for you to be holy. So stay away from certain things. We'll get to that. But God's will for you is to be holy. You see, when God saved you, we can put it this way. Wait, wait, listen to this. This I think is worth memorizing or writing down. We are saved from the penalty of sin. That's our justification. We are saved from the penalty of our sins. Praise God, my judgment. God will not twice demand. Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. Sin has left its crimson stain. He washed them white as snow. I'm justified. I'm saved from the penalty of my sins. I am and you are being saved from the power of sin. That's our sanctification. And lastly, we shall be saved from the presence of sin. That's our glorification. So keep those three things in mind. You're justified, you're being sanctified, and you shall be glorified. Hallelujah. What a path to be on. It starts first for us to be on. What a, what a start to be justified before God. The Bible asks the big question, how then can a man be justified with God? How can a man be clean that is born of a woman? Behold, even to the moon and it shineth not. Yea, the stars are not pure in his sight. How much less man that is a worm? And the book of Romans says that God is just and the justifier of him who believes in Jesus. Have you believed in Jesus? If you truly are trusting him and him only, you are justified before God. Meaning in a simple way, you're just as if you'd never sinned. Just as if I'd never sinned. These are the things that come along with our faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And for us, It should be our desire that we want to do the will of God. Is our will in unison with God's will. We can be stubborn. We can be selfish. We can be caught up with the things of the world. It's easy. And I think it's easier in our modern day than any other age of days gone by in church history. So there's a lot of temptations that we can fall into. But if we put the word of God first and foremost in our mind, it will guide us. It will help us to adjust so that we don't let the world overrule us and take charge of our lives. That we become to lo- we we start to lose that sanctifying mindset of fixing it on the Lord Jesus Christ, so that our wills will be in harmony with God's will. Ephesians four twenty four says, "Put on the new man created." to be like God in true righteousness and holiness if God says be holy as I am holy you say whoa that's quite a command that's quite an expectation God would, does never expect us to do what he doesn't qualify us to be able to carry out he equips us to be holy like he is holy not that we're ever going to reach that perfection, of course, but it's something to strive to be like. And the scripture repeats that various places. Be ye holy, for I am holy. And know, Moses had to know that at the outset when he met the Lord in the burning bush, when he drew near and God says, Stop, Moses! The ground you're standing on is holy ground. So many people have a misconception of what God is like. Oh, when I see God, I'm going to tell them, you're going to stand in awe of Him. He's a holy God, a sinless God, a perfect God, a righteous God. He does all things well. No one's going to be able to oppose God. No one's going to be able to feel themselves more pure than their maker. They need to be humble before God like 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 Job thought he had all the answers until God finally speaks. And he said, I had to put my hand to my mouth and repent and say, who am I that I should speak against God? But God says, be holy. Now this is a portion that's the meat of, of what Paul is getting across here. Stay away from all sexual sin. Wow, uh, this is real. Hello, this is 21st century stuff, isn't it? Verse four, each of you, then each of you will control his own body and live in holiness and honor, not in lustful passion like what? The pagans. The pagans are contrasted with the believers, with the Christians. The pagans do not know God and his ways. We can't ex- have high expectations that the unsaved are going to straighten out, so to speak. That the gays are going to become ungay or that those who have distorted, perverted lifestyles and attitudes and ways of life, they're not going to get straightened out unless the gospel truly does. They have a natural theology that comes with creation. They have a conscience before God. They have some sense of right and wrong, absolutely. But we are not in their category. We know God. The people that do know their God shall be strong and do exploits. The world should look us, and the pagan world should look at us and say, I could never live like that. And that's what I used to say. I'd I'd look at born-again Christians and I'd say, man, how do they do that? Like, how do they stop this and that and so on and so forth until the Lord stopped me on my mad career and then said, this is the way. Jesus is the way. And by trusting and putting faith in Him, All of a sudden now he becomes the ruler and takes over my life and I say take my life and let it be consecrated Lord to thee. Never harm or cheat a fellow believer in this matter by violating his wife, the adulterer, the adulteress. You know I said about Paul taught them. There's no doubt that Paul used the Old Testament. What does the Old Testament say about sexual immorality? If you think the New Testament is strong... Whoa. The Old Testament really is powerful. If you committed adultery, you're going to be stoned to death. If the person that you're committing it with in a consensual way, both of you will be put to death. If the woman cries out in desperation for safety, she is spared. But the, 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 the criminal is put to death. There is no such thing in the Bible for, for allowance for sexual immorality. I think I have down here somewhere on one of these pages, yes. What does the Bible say about sex before marriage or extramarital affairs? The pagans, this would be ridiculous to them. Like, are you kidding me? But this is what the Bible says, all right? Listen up. 1 Corinthians seven one: It is good for man not to have sexual relations with a woman. This is talking about two uh, un- uh, unmarried people. Uh, 1 Corinthians 6, 9 to 11. I'll read a portion of it. The sexually immoral will not inherit the kingdom of God. Hebrews 13, 4. God will judge the adulterer and the sexually immoral. Colossians 3, 5. What was read earlier, put to death sexual immorality. Galatians 5, 24. Those who belong to Christ have crucified the sinful nature with its passion and desires. We have to recognize and own the fact that we are not neutral creatures. We have sex instincts within us. There are motives that every person in this room has in these categories. But So we're instructed to put to death these things. That's why the sermon title is Is Your Will, God's Will? Do we want to do God's will? Revelation 21.8 The sexually immoral will be in the fiery lake of burning sulfur. 1 Corinthians 6:13 The body is meant for not for sexual immorality but for the Lord. Paul says to Timothy, who by the way is called the man of God, he's young, the only person in the New Testament called the man of God. He says, "Flee also youthful lusts. Flee them." Well, I'm a man of God, Paul. Timothy could have said, "You didn't have to write that to me." No, That wouldn't have been Timothy's reaction. Thanks, Paul. I needed that exhortation. I needed that urgent cry to keep myself pure. And that's why he says about the elder woman how Paul was to view them. And in the younger woman, he says, respectfully, with all purity. That word is used with all purity in regards to the relationship of Timothy to young woman. He was single himself. And then in 1 Corinthians 7 37, he that has power over his own will to keep his virginity does well. That's one particular way of translating that very difficult verse. He has, he that has power over his own will. Now that's talking about your desire, your will conforming to God's will and, and making sure it is. When I was in a pre-marital state and dating I had to take these verses very seriously I had to, I had to claim celibacy for two years before I got married and I took God's word seriously and by the grace and mercy of God and the help of God he was able to keep me pure and I only give God the credit considering what I was prior to my conversion and then afterwards I didn't get married the next week or the next month I'm I'm ministering to somebody uh just throw this in a little bit because I think it's so practical. Um, I've mentioned this person before and um, he seems like he's on fire for the Lord. He's just reading the word day and night. He's enrolled in 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 seminary level courses wants to get a master's degree so he can be able to teach the Bible and and he's changed his life. He has gotten rid of so many things. He had a $4,000 bracelet, four thousand dollar gold bracelet. He he got rid of it. I can't be wearing that. These are things that God is teaching him. In matter of fact when I first was conversing with him, he would use the F word. And I'm like, hmm, you know, should I cut him off? Should I say something? But no, let him ride it out. Let's see if he's really saved. And in the course of time, he's come to judge himself about that. That's what I mean about looking at others and seeing how the Holy Spirit works in their life. If they're truly children of God, they're going to be taught of God. If they're reading the Word of God, they're going to be taught of God. And then if they have fellow believers around them, they're going to be taught of God or taught the ways of God in these instructive ways that are so helpful. Sexual immorality. It's a vile thing. No one, no one, this is a new living translation, not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God, that no one transgress and wrong his brother in this matter. What matter is he talking about? The matter of sleeping with another man's wife. This is particularly addressed to the males here, particularly. And we've heard story after story of pastors and those that have fallen. It's humbling and it 's a, a, a strict warning to especially those that are in places like this in pulpits that have contact with women and counseling I, I heard of a someone who was interviewed on James Dobson's show a lot of years ago. He was a marriage counselor and he was counseling a couple about about the about the christian uh, christian 's responsibilities and how husbands and wives should relate to each other in, in hoping that he could reunite them together well it ended up. He wasn't successful, but it, the reason was because he ended up getting into a relationship with a woman and, and ended up getting the divorce and he ended up marrying her. And James Dobson said to him, because years later he had repented and judged the whole thing, he says, didn't, didn't you see the wrongness of what you were doing when, when this was going on? He says, it was like a doorbell that when you press the button, it rings. Because James Dobson said, Is any, "Did anything go off in your mind? Did any doorbell ring in your head?" He says, "If it was ringing, I don't know because I cut the wires. I cut the wires. You see, we can easily cut God out of our lives. I, I'm, I've seen more in recent years of, of a fellow I think born again Christian, solid believers. At least I thought at one time, and now they're back in the ways of the world. What has happened? They've somehow cut the wires." Not let, they've not let the Spirit of God, God's will to, to come into their lives to say, I want to do God's will and not my own will. Because he goes on to say in verse 7, for God has not called us for an impurity, but in holiness. There's that word again. Therefore, verse 8, whoever disregards this, disregards not man, but God who gives his Holy Spirit to you. That should be enough to stop you. You've got the Holy Spirit within you. Know you not that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit and that you're not your own. You are bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body, which is God's. Your body is God's. You're not your own. This is His. You is are His. And how we need to, like Paul says, In 1 Corinthians 9 24, I keep under my body and bring it into subjection, lest that by any means what I have preached to others, I myself also should be a reprobate or a castaway. The meaning there is I beat my, I beat my flesh to a pulp so that it becomes black and blue and that it's incapable of fulfilling its fleshly desires. It's better to marry than to burn. Paul's using that expression, a burning lust. That's even in believers. The lust doesn't go away when we get saved. It's still there, but it can be subdued and overridden by the power of the Holy Spirit. It's not the cold showers. It's a relationship with God that will keep you holy and pure in following Christ. Keep yourself in the Word Strong communion with fellow believers. Open confession with one another. Brothers, we had a little of this yesterday in our men's breakfast, but we need to continue to pursue after God who is holy, holy, holy. Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, we are ch- we're truly challenged with, with the message of your word this morning, this afternoon. And Lord, we realize as your word tells us that all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, is not of the Father, but is of the world. Lord, help us to keep our eyes upon you. Help us, O oh Lord, to subdue those things within us, Lord, that spring up, that cause us, Lord, to think wrongly, sinfully, immorally. As our Lord Jesus says, He that looketh upon a woman and lusteth after her in her heart has committed adultery. O oh God, we thank you that we cannot trust in ourselves, but in you who, are, who is able to help us to overcome the lust of the flesh. Help us to not walk like the pagans who don't know God. It's understandable why they would live the way they do, and so wouldn't we if it weren't for the grace of God. But help us, O Lord, that we might truly seek you and that we would depend on you and commune with you for our everyday lives so that we can become like your Son and that we can be holy as you are holy. We pray these things in Jesus' precious and worthy name. Amen.